This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Mephiotes, and this is The Full Story. For the past few months, inequality reporter Steph Convery has been speaking to renters, hearing horror story after horror story about mouldy houses, evictions, rent hikes, and widespread competition for a dwindling amount of affordable homes. But then she came across a different type of story. People fundraising for rent and housing. People like Lou. So a girlfriend of mine, we had a conversation and she said, well, would you be open to me putting up a GoFundMe page? I kind of thought, well, what if we bought a caravan and we lived in that for a while? I know it doesn't sound ideal, but neither is living in a house that you can't afford to live in. During the election, the major party spoke a lot about owning a home. But more than a third of people in Australia are renting. And for low-income people in particular, this tight rental market has dramatic consequences. So what will the new Labor government do to help renters who are struggling? Today, Australia's rental crisis. It's Monday, the 30th of May. Steph, you've been reporting on the rental crisis for the past few months. How widespread is the issue of affordability and availability and who is most affected? Basically, low-income earners are the most affected by this. But honestly, this is affecting almost everyone in the rental market. Sometimes they are given months of notice before they have to leave a property and that's still not enough time for them to find a new place to live. It's so tight at the moment that People are receiving notice to vacate and they're terrified that they are going to be left homeless. Right. So let's talk about low-income people. How hard is it for them to find an affordable rental in Australia right now? So the amount of affordable properties available to people on, for example, government supports, it's practically zero. In terms of the actual figures, Recent data from Anglicare's annual rental affordability snapshot showed that for a couple on job seeker payments with two children, there were only 78 affordable properties nationally. That's mm. 78 in the entire country, with only two of those properties in metropolitan areas of Victoria and none at all in mm. Sydney. There were 51 properties, so that's 0.1% that were affordable for people on the disability pension. And that was without considering whether those properties would actually fit the specific needs of an applicant. People with disabilities have real trouble in the rental market because properties are not advertised as accessible. And so they don't know if they are going to be able to live in a place Mm. properly or use all of the features in a house. And amid that data, it showed that only seven properties, and they were all share houses, were affordable for single people on JobSeeker. There's basically nothing that's affordable if you're on youth allowance and it's bad in the cities, but it's even worse in regional areas. So nationally, rents have increased more than 20% in regional areas. And in many places, there are no properties available for rent. There's just nothing. Mm. So Steph, I know that in regional areas, more people are renting, buying or holidaying there during the pandemic. And that's just driven all the prices up because there's so few houses left over. To understand what this looks like, you introduced me to someone called Lou. Okay, so I live with my three children and I work 
from home. And so just juggling the life of (laughs) single parenting and everything that goes with it. Mm. So at the moment, we're living in the house that we've lived in for the last seven years. And um, yeah, it's it's been a really comfortable home for us. Yeah, it's nothing fancy. It's quite old, but it's got lots of character and yeah. Lou told me that she's seen this transformation of regional areas happen firsthand in her coastal town of Dramana in the Mornington Peninsula, which is about an hour out of Melbourne. Gosh, it's actually very different to when I first moved here. So it was a really sleepy beach town. Like there's there's a lot of people that have moved down here and you're watching these beautiful old homes getting knocked down and there's these like huge like two or three-storey buildings getting built. And how much is rent at, at your place and has it gone up at all? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely gone up. I, I started renting here, I think, at 385 a week and now I'm paying 445 a week. So it went up, I think, $20 last year and another $10 just recently. Yeah. What do rising rents in these areas mean for low-income people in particular? What types of pressures are families experiencing right now that you've spoken to, Steph? There's definitely a squeeze on people's budgets in a really profound way. I mean, we know statistically that almost half of low-income renters are experiencing rental stress. So that means that they're spending more than 30% of their income on rent. And I think if you actually talk to those renters, you find that you, you would think that the, the rate is actually probably higher than that. Mm. Like it means making impossible choices about what to spend your money on. So do I pay my rent this week or do I pay the electricity bill that's overdue? Do I buy the vital medication that I need or do I buy food for my children? Like they're mm. not choices that anyone should have to make. And so we're seeing increasing reliance on charities, especially emergency food relief, and those charities are being inundated with need. And when I work it out, I'm looking at around about, you know, my maximum I can spend on rent a week would be around about four, four fifty. And that leaves me empty at the end of the week. Yeah, it's really hard to get in front. I've, you know, really had to, I've actually become quite reliant on some of the support systems that are out there just to get like basic food vouchers when some weeks I've not been able to buy, you know, school lunches. Mm. Some some days I haven't been able to get my kids to drive them to school because I've had no petrol in the car. So, you know, it's those really basic things. Like, yeah, the other day I think the school rang me and said, oh, do you think you could fill out this paperwork? And um, if not, could you come up to school and grab it? And I was like, yeah, sure, no worries. And then I thought, Actually, you can't send it to me by internet because I don't have any internet at the moment and I don't have any petrol to get up to school. So that puts you in a state of freeze because you kind of just don't know, like, where to go. I imagine there is only so much that someone can cut into their budget to pay the rent. Are these rent prices pushing people into homelessness? So statistics around homelessness are a little bit tricky. There's people who are living on the streets who don't have anywhere to live, anywhere at all. But then there's people Mm. who are kind of like invisible in that in-between space where they might be staying with friends, they might be um, in a camper van, for example. They they Mm. might not necessarily identify as on the streets, but they don't have a home. 
And one of the ways that we can measure this is by looking at the size of social housing wait lists. Mm. And in Victoria, for example, this has ballooned over the past five years. So it's risen 55% since 2017, and there are now more than 54,000 households on it. That's estimated to be more than 100,000 people waiting for a house. In New South Wales, the numbers are similar. There are over 50,000 households on the wait list. And in Queensland, there were nearly 28,000. Right. I'm really interested in this idea that homelessness doesn't look like what a lot of people might consider. There's this kind of in-between space from being in the rental market and then, you know, being on the street in a shelter in those kind of stereotypical ideas of what people think of as homelessness. What does this process look like? What is the start of this slippery slope into homelessness? For a lot of people, it starts with the real estate agent saying, we're not going to renew your lease. Real estate rent is like, well, just spoken to the landlord, they want to move into the house. Okay, so we're just letting you know you're going to be getting an eviction notice from us. It's like, oh, okay. Often there's like a couple of months notice that people will get, particularly in the places where you don't need to give a reason for not renewing someone's lease. They gave me six weeks to get out. So I kind of went into panic mode. Mm. I was meant to be out last week, but I actually just physically didn't have the resources to get everything done by myself and work Mm. and (laughs) juggle the kids and everything. So I've actually extended it a couple more weeks. And keep in mind, people are being evicted in towns where there may not be another appropriate rental for them. They may not have enough rooms or there might not be another house within their price range. I looked around and at you know, the rental list of what would come up. And they were really basic, Um, you know, like just maybe one wall heater in one room. They were really old buildings that needed quite a lot of maintenance. So there was the option of some rentals in caravan parks. So, you know, holiday units, just basic two bedrooms with no garage for around about what I'm paying here. So... They just, yeah, there just wasn't anything that Mm. was even close to suitable for a family of four and my price range. People are often faced with uh, quite substantial costs. So it costs about four or $5,000 to move house. That's including the bond, that's the um, removalist costs, that's the utilities, things like that. Cleaning. A lot of people, when they're suddenly notified of their lease not being renewed, don't have the money for that, particularly if they're on a low income and they can't afford to save very much money. Mm. So I spoke to the people behind the crowdfunding platform GoFundMe and they told me that throughout the pandemic they've seen a rise in people fundraising for basic housing needs. So that includes things like rent, bonds, sometimes like caravans and things so that they don't have to rent an actual house But in the past year in particular, that has exploded by more than 300%, with a lot of campaigns having been launched just in the past few months. Mm. So a girlfriend of mine, one of my good friends, um, we had a conversation and she said, well, if you did think that this was the right thing to, you you know, potentially maybe take your kids on a bit of a, an adventure and just try something different, 
would you be open to me putting up a GoFundMe page? Mm. Would you be open to that? And instantly my heart just closed. And I just went, mm, no, thanks. <laughs> why? Why Why did you have that feeling? Oh, because it was just having to ask for help again. Yeah. Um, I guess having to show that you were vulnerable and that you weren't, you know, you weren't getting by. So on a personal level, like it was something for me to, I guess, move through. And then when I did and I kind of said, okay, <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you do that. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we were, I was really just kind of overwhelmed with the amount of generosity, you know, that people had shown. And I was able to purchase a camper trailer with some of that money. And, yeah, at the moment it's sitting in my driveway and I am just doing a bit of maintenance on it. So it's got a little kitchen gas stove that pulls out and a sink and it's not quite waterproof. So I'm just waterproofing it this week. That's my job this week to get it waterproofed properly. What's the space situation going to be like for the kids? I think it's going to be tight, but (laughs) we've kind of planned to clean everything out of the house and only take what we can fit in a backpack. The camper trail is great. It's not going to fit us all in it for more than two nights. So we've got a 10-man tent as well. So it just gives us a little bit more space. Mm. How are the kids feeling about the plan going forward? They're they're really great. They're so adaptable and, um, yeah, they're actually really looking forward to it. So we've kind of planned to go up a bit of the east coast and probably inland a bit because there's quite a lot of free camp campsites so just exploring some of the country maybe finding another place to settle and live yeah Steph what does it say to you that more and more people are fundraising for basic housing needs to keep some sort of roof over their heads I think it points to a really serious problem in the housing market. People just don't have enough money for their basic needs anymore. And housing itself is a is a really fundamental need. So many things stem from that, your ability to work, your ability to look after your children properly, uh, your mental health, and that's just a, that's just for starters. Mm. I mean, when I spoke to the director of GoFundMe, and they're not an advocacy organisation, they're they're a crowdfunding platform, Mm. right? But she said that the trends that they saw on the platform often kind of, quote, gave a clear picture of those falling through the cracks of traditional support. And I I think that's really true. People go to a platform like that because they're desperate and they don't have any other way of making ends meet. Mm. And she said that, Fundraising campaigns might help in the short term. They might help you buy your camper van. They might help you pay your bond, but they're not a long-term solution and people aren't always going to be able to rely on that as a stopgap. Next, the calls for better renters' rights and Labor's response.
It strikes me that Lou's story is indicative of a few things here. You know, she was evicted. She couldn't find suitable housing elsewhere that caters to basic needs like heating. Does that show that affordability is just part of the problem here? Is there a broader problem with the way that the private rental market is set up in Australia? So it's a little hard to speak about renters as a block because there is different legislation about renting from state to state. But it's pretty safe to say that renters in Australia, most cases, do not have enough protections. There's a big power imbalance between them and real estate agents and landlords. So even when renters have rights on paper, it's very hard to actually assert those rights in practice. Mm. And more than 30% of the population are renting. So it's not a small contingent of the population. It's actually a huge group of us. Mm. And their their rights are essentially being ignored, I think. Mm. What's the clearest example of how this power imbalance plays out in the rental market, Steph? The chief executive of the Tenants' Union of New South Wales, Leo Patterson-Ross, said they had seen a doubling of people calling about no-grounds evictions in regional areas because people were being pushed out to make way for the people moving out of the city into those places. Mm. It's essentially a notice that your lease will not be renewed but the landlord's not required to give you a reason why. Mm. So this can happen in most places around the country. It might not be called no grounds eviction on paper, but essentially what the legislation does is give landlords a pretty big leeway to evict people whenever they want for whatever reason they want. Often the reason that's given is that they want to sell the property or they want to make modifications to the property that mean that it's impossible for somebody to live there while that happens. There are all sorts of um, excuses they can use to kick you out. Mm. And what we've heard about during our reporting is that as the demand on rentals soars, tenants are being asked to pay more rent and when they can't afford it, they're being kicked out so that other people can move in who will pay more rent. Mm. So, Seth, it sounds like the current affordability crisis is really exposing some long-standing and systemic issues in terms of renters' rights here. What are some of the things that are pretty easy to fix up that could be done right now that would improve renters' rights and the affordability crisis? What's on the table? So in New South Wales, where the Tenants' Union is a pretty active kind of advocacy force, they have been calling for the government to abolish no-grounds eviction. That's what we spoke about earlier. They also want to see more hardship provisions for renters, um, landlord insurance, compensation or similar schemes to prevent the need for unnecessary eviction. But so far, none of these have really been taken up. In Victoria last year, they did tighten laws around tenants' rights, including around rent increases and the conditions under which you can be evicted. That has helped a little bit, although in practice, I think it's still fairly easy to evict some, to, to say, we're not going to renew your lease, so you have to leave. Mm. But it doesn't have to be all in the state's hands. So something that housing advocates have been calling for for a long time is a uh, a boost from the federal government in Commonwealth rent assistance. Mm. What is the Commonwealth rent assistance payment? Who's eligible for it, Steph? So it's a supplementary payment made to welfare recipients and there are about 1.4 million of them who get it. They have to be in private rentals to receive it. It's very, very low, Um, The increases to that are going in line with the consumer price index. But if you think about how much rents have increased, it's way over CPI. 
Right, so the government can say, we are raising these payments in line with the cost of living, but that doesn't match up with an insane housing market and rental market, basically. Exactly, exactly. So this is just this is just one example, right? And it would be a bit of a Band-Aid and it would only um, help out those people who were earning little enough and on other, other government benefits to be eligible for Commonwealth rent assistance. It doesn't help all those other people in the private market who may be on minimum wage who don't qualify for government assistance, but who are still struggling in the rental market. Right, so what would make large-scale change? So what advocates say is needed is a national housing strategy, basically a plan for housing around the country that incorporates renters in its scope, ideally incorporating both rental affordability and improvement of renters' rights right across the country. Mm. Right, so we do have a new federal government. Are they listening to this? They're listening to it to an extent. So the Labor government has plans to establish a National Housing Supply and Affordability Council, which will report on rental affordability as part of its job. Labor has also promised to develop a National Housing and Homelessness Plan, which Mm. that council will help to shape. So the plan will be created in partnership with states, industry bodies and charities. And this looks very much like what advocates have been calling for for years. But how much it will actually change things for renters in practical terms really remains to be seen. What else has an Albanese government committed to in terms of the affordability of the rental market? So one of the things that will help a bit, we hope, is that the Albanese government has committed to building 30,000 new social and affordable housing properties over five years. So 10,000 of those would be for frontline workers like nurses, et cetera, to live closer to their place of work. 4,000 of them will be for women and children who are at risk of domestic violence and older women who are at risk of homelessness. Now, that's a really great policy commitment, but if you think about how many households just in Victoria alone we spoke about earlier who are on the social housing waiting Mm. list, there's 54,000 just in Victoria, 51,000 in New South Wales. It's a drop in the ocean of what's needed. And the effect that that will have on market rents is really unclear. Mm. So increase in housing stock, the wisdom goes, will bring prices down but it's not clear how much this particular policy will do that. They have other housing policies too around housing affordability for first home buyers um, and people who want to build a house. Again, it's not clear how much this will actually affect prices and how much it will affect the rental market specifically. So despite this policy from Labor, we really didn't hear much about renters during the election campaign. We do know that the Greens has some strong policies around renters' rights, rental affordability and increasing public housing much more dramatically than Labor and that Labor will need to rely on the Greens most likely to pass legislation through the Senate. Does that bode well for real change to occur for renters in the next three years? I feel more optimistic than I did before the election. (laughs) I don't know. I'm a pessimist by nature, I think. And when you report on this stuff and you hear so many stories of people really struggling and being ignored for years and years in their struggles, it's difficult to feel super optimistic. But I think we have a better chance now under this government than we did under the previous government to get some movement on some of these things. But the next three years are going to be critical for this. Like, people are people are facing homelessness now. They needed a solution to this yesterday. 
That was Stephanie Convery, an inequality reporter at Guardian Australia. You can read the whole series, Australia's Rental Crisis, including the story featuring Lou and others who are fundraising to pay for housing at theguardian.com. We've linked to those on the full story page as well. This episode was produced by Laura Briley-Newton and Camilla Hannan, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Matignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow.